For those of you who don't know Jason, Jason uh, runs Husk, which is a uh, coffee shop down the road uh, in Limehouse. Its full name is uh, Husk Coffee and Creative Space. Uh, lots of you will know it as the place where we run Alpha from, uh, as well as a place where you can get a, a wonderful flat white and uh, some avocado on toast uh, and all sorts of hipster delights. Um, and it, it really is a fantastic place. And I love Jason because Jason loves Jesus and Jason uh, has a real passion to tell people uh, about Jesus. And uh, many of you will know that Jason and I and uh, a small team from Husk went out to Bangladesh uh, about three weeks ago now, we flew out uh, to the Saleti uh, region of Bangladesh, which is where lots of the uh, Bengali Muslims from this local community uh, come from. And, uh, and it was an amazing opportunity for us to really experience something uh, of that incredible country uh, and that amazing culture, a culture that is so full of sound and colour and life and vibrance. Uh, and it's wonderful to be able to, to see that and then to see how, the, how, how that culture is impacting uh, our area here uh, in East London. And, uh, and we are a local church. You know, as a church, we want to reach out to those in our local area. And so we felt it was so important to be able to go uh, and kind of really encounter something of that culture firsthand there uh, in Salet, in, uh, in, in Bangladesh. We were there for about half a week and then uh, we travelled down to Dhaka, which was the capital city, is the capital city of Bangladesh. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a five-hour uh, van ride that took us about 11 hours, um, which was, which was uh, a real high point uh, for me in our trip. And, um, and when we got to Dhaka, it was, it was remarkable, again, just to experience the... the the culture there in such a, a densely populated city, you know, way more people uh, in Dhaka than there are in London, um, just a hugely dense uh, population, but full of just the most incredible people, and we were able to spend some time with a local church out there, uh, it was wonderful to meet uh, their pastors, had the great privilege of being able to preach uh, in the church, and, uh, and while I was thinking about uh, what we might say uh, in that church, God really led me to Psalm 107, which begins by saying, give thanks uh, to the Lord for his love endures, and then he goes on to say, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story those he gathers from the east and from the west. And I was just struck by the amazing uh, opportunity that we all have, and actually especially in this area, uh, to encounter people uh, from a whole diverse set of backgrounds and cultures. Uh, and, and wherever I've traveled, uh, I'm, I'm always reminded that it's the same God uh, who we know and love here in East London uh, that is in Bangladesh. Uh, and is at work across uh, this world. And it's an amazing opportunity that we have to be able to gather together and tell our stories. And it's an opportunity that we have the privilege of doing here in London, in, in such a diverse and vibrant city, uh, that we have the privilege of being able to inhabit. Um, so after we spent some time in Bangladesh, me uh, and the rest of the team came home, but Jason uh, had more to come and stayed there and went off to India. Uh, many of you will know uh, Abs, uh, who's an amazing member of our congregation here, and he was baptised at the beginning of this year uh, after coming on our Alpha course, and um, uh, Abs joined Jason in India, and they had uh, an incredible time. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to hearing some of Jason's stories, hearing what God has given him uh, to say to us today. So can we, can we welcome, can we, can we hear it for Jason? Wonderful. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We, uh, we did have a great time in South Asia. Uh, 
the, the Bangladesh part, we had nine people with us, which is a good chunk of people from Hask and then um, obviously Phil um, coming along as well. And getting nine people around Bangladesh in a country you haven't been to before with guides that you haven't talked to before was definitely a challenge. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree that 11-hour drive was a bit of a, bit of a highlight. And um, <laughs> at the end, everyone's trying to like take over leadership of it, so, you know, trying to find out how we're going to find our accommodation. But um, we ended up finding it no, no problem. I, I think in the Select region, a couple of the highlights there where we, we got to um, visit a, a Muslim family who, who in the village, and it was kind of um, crazy. One of my um, like people that I know here locally in Tower Hamlets just rocked up at our hotel like to say hello. I didn't even know he was going to come, and he was quite insistent that we should come to his village. And so we kind of changed our program and our whole... Um, and a whole group ended up going to his village and we experienced the hospitality um, of that. And then Facebook kind of lit up from all the Bengali community and they started sharing photos and they were kind of really honoured that we'd gone to visit. Um, our, our guides um, that we had there, um, who we hired through um, some local people here as well, were both um, young guys, both Muslim um, guys. And we had some great conversations with them, still um, in contact. They were highly impacted. I'm still getting like text messages. They were kind of wowed by the chemistry of the group and how much people loved each other and, and these kinds of things. Um, one of the highlights for me, though, was this guy, um, Rayhan, who um, Phil and I sort of separated from the group at one point. I'm not sure if we just needed some space or needed to organise something. But um, he took us to sh show us his favourite bridge. You remember this one? And it was hilarious. Like, this bridge is just a concrete bridge. If it, it, and it's the most ordinary... Con it's not the Tower of London kind of like... It's just really plain concrete bridge um, with a couple of... But he was, like, raving about the lighting. And the lighting was seriously just, like, some very plain poles with, with some lights on it. But um, just to give you an idea of kind of how maybe poor the region is. Um, and it is... I, I think Bangladesh is actually poorer than, than India. And, um, but this was the high point. And it was clearly the place that everyone took, took a date. If you wanted to go out for a night, you went to this particular bridge. And um, there's like these vendors and they had like plastic chairs set out and people would sit down there, they would have nuts. And we got, and, and they drink chai. We got to the start of the bridge and he was very like particular about buying us nuts and he's just raving about this bridge. And we were like walking along and trying to contain our, our laughter and just going, yeah, it's a good bridge. And I'm trying to find ways of like saying how great this bridge was and I'm going just really strong and then feel I could hear Phil laughing like a few meters behind me and I'm like don't laugh like I'm trying to take this bridge seriously but um yeah and then of course um we got to see all those different regions um we saw some projects um in 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 Dhaka as well and had a I mean uh, Phil did a great job preaching and, and it was kind of this big contrast where he started preaching and at that very moment like the call to prayer kind of like started in the background and um, so you can hear like the Muslim call, call to prayer. If you don't know what that is, it's kind of like church bells um, would be in the, in the UK where they're telling everyone it's time to come to the mosque to pray. But it's like really loud and this dominates the city wherever you go. And um, so Phil gets up to preach and then you've got this call to prayer blasting, um, you know, at the same time. And uh, so it, it just reminds you of the environment that you're in. And of course, um, I came into India um, directly following that. And you know, that region of the world, something like, 65% of the population is under the age of 30. 65% of the, of the population under the age of 30. So if you want to invest in the future of the planet, the future of the earth, that really is the 
place that you want to be looking to make an investment. Um, a, a lot of the world's poor is located in, in northern India. So what we mean by poor is over 50% of the world um, lives on less than 250 US a day. So that's about £2.20, say. So just imagine if you think you could live off £2.20 a day. There's no NHS, there's no like welfare system, there's nothing like that. And that's 50% of the world's um, population. And so it's um, quite confronting when you see that kind of like poverty right in front of you. I went to um, a place called Varanasi, which is one of the oldest cities in the world. And one of the oldest civilizations in the world was the Aryan people who um, came into the north of India and drove everyone out. They had a lighter colored skin. And um, even today in India, you see that the people with the lighter colored skin, um, you know, still those roots of superiority are still there. They won't um, shake the hand of someone with a dark colored skin. And um, it's also in the north is where the caste system developed. Basically, they came in a highly technological advance um, kind of like civilization. They came in and they, and they took over that region. They worshipped the fire, the water, things like this, the basic elements. Um, but before long, they started worshipping just about everything. And, um, and even today, like I'm walking along and they're just sh um, cutting like sugarcane on the side of the road. And, um, and we're sort of asking some questions, and they say, you know, they've started worshipping the sugarcane now as well. Um, they, they go and they work with the sugarcane by, by day, and they go home and they worship it in their homes at night. And so they just basically started this process, uh, process of worship. And um, the Aryan um, people, they set up these different groups or tribes to take care of different work. So one group would look after administration and different types like that. Another group would look after farming and different things like this. And then after that, the top one, the, one of the tribes was called the Brahmin tribe. And then this thing, after they established this, this thing called Brahminism came up, which is the superiority of those people over all others. And they started this ranking system, um, which is called the caste system, which is basically different classes that people fall in. It still exists today. And, um, and suddenly animals were put in as holding greater worth than certain groups of people and intertwined with this idea of Hinduism and then expanded from just worshipping the elements to worshipping all manners of thousands of different gods. And it's still alive and well in that city. I went to the place on the River Ganges where they burned the bodies. Um, before the British Empire was there, um, only the men's bodies were allowed to be burned. If the women's, if, if you, your body was burned there, you'll go straight to heaven. They still believe that. The women weren't allowed to be burned there um, because they, they, if they'd already died, they weren't allowed to be burned there. So the women used to stand and throw themselves on the fire when their husband was being burned. They'd throw themselves on alive. Um, and the, the British, when the British Empire was there, they actually stopped that particular practice. But this kind of like level of depravity is still there. I visited another village um, in Argo called the Snake Charmers Village, and they actually don't make it onto the caste system ranking. So, in other words, they're not even on the, they're not even in the in the in the system, and they're called Snake Charmers Village. Um, these people are Hindu people, but they're so low. Um, and they're, that they're not allowed to worship. So imagine having a religion, but you're not allowed to have any idols, and you're not allowed to go to the temple. In fact, if they went to, if they went to go into the temple, they'd pour hot wax in their ears so that they couldn't hear the holy sounds, because, um, of course, they're not allowed to hear that. And I visited we, the India part of the trip was with Empart. Many of you would have heard about that before, and they planted a school among this region and it's caused all sorts of trouble because it disrupts the social order. They think you shouldn't be educating these particular kids.
But, um, but we had a great time. And the contrast between that kind of level of poverty and what God was doing in that nation was incredible. We did a pastor's conference, and we also did a leadership conference where we went through the book of Ephesians. And you asked them, how many of you came to um, faith through some kind of miraculous event? And they all put up their hand, like there was something incredible um, that God had done in their life. And the level of faith among these pastors was absolutely, um, just absolutely out of this world. Um, Abs came, he did some doctor session, he taught some, basically taught us all how to wash our hands properly, and, and uh, he was very popular being a urologist, um, everyone's coming in for private consultations on all them. <laughs> On all their manly, uh, all their manly parts, and uh, some of the conversations, I just had to leave. I'm like, I don't really need to know um, all of that information. And one of the striking things is he taught them about the importance of, of diet, because obviously um, having curry and coke all the time is not a really good diet. And um, so we taught them about how you should have cereal and and things like this, and um, and water, and 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 these things that you should have. Anyway, the pastors come to him the next day, and they said, you know, Abs, all that advice you gave um, was great, but I'm not sure you realise how poor these people are, because um, they have such a little amount of money that the government has this program where for one rupee you can get a big bag of rice, and for another rupee you can get a big bag of flour. And he said that's basically what they'll live off. Um, so they can't make anything else than having rice and, and having this and having the, um, you know, the bread. And so it's just really confronting as you go through and you realize how the society works and why things are the way they are. Um, and I, I feel like um, it has a particular relevance to our passage um, this morning. We're actually going to look at the book of James. And the reason is because the book of, um, this really deals with wealth a little bit. And I think often we um, think to ourselves that, that um, within our society we have rich and poor. A um, couple of things I realized being over there, I'm, I'm not quite sure we have any poor people in, um, in the UK. I think the poorest among us is still in the top maybe 5% of the world's wealthy. And um, that's a crazy thought when you think about it. The other thing is, is I realized that we don't really have that much culture or that much history in London, I thought coming from Australia, um, we were the ones without culture. And then I walked into the UK and I'm like, wow, everything's so old. And I walked through Europe. But then I go to India and Bangladesh and I realize I don't think England has any culture. <laughs> I don't think England has any, any history. But um, when you start to see how the world um, lives, um, it really changes um, how you think um, and, and how you appreciate the life that you've got. So... Um, there's a few, um, if you want to know more about the trip, feel free to come and talk to me after. Feel free to come and speak to Phil as well. Um, now, we're going to continue with our, um, our study on the book of James. So, if you want to open up your Bibles to the book of James chapter 4, and I might pray, and we're going to kind of shift gear out of um, India, and we're going to shift um, gear back into uh, um, the first century and, uh, and James's letter. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, um, and uh, this morning we speak on mission critical. Lord, would you highlight to us, God, um, the critical nature of what you called us to? Would you challenge us with your word? Would you bring the book of James alive to us, God? May us feel um, what James intended for us to feel. Would you um, bring our minds alive to your word? Would the words lift off of the page, and would them mean something to us? Let them be revelation to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're looking this morning at the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13, to chapter 5, verse 6. I might read it, um, and it says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Or yourselves as in the day of feasting, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. I'd just like to say a special thanks to Phil for giving me this passage this morning. <laughs> I feel like in some ways I drew the short straw. But, but um, there's something incredibly um, powerful in this, in this message and hopefully um, we're able to draw it out this morning. You know, James was referred to, we learned in other weeks, as the apostle of straw. And um, I couldn't like disagree with that statement more because I feel like James was pretty hard-hitting in, um, in his approach, as we even see from some of these words here. Really, James, what he does is he hits you right between the eyes and he leaves you with nowhere to hide. I don't think that you could escape um, his words this morning. I don't want to escape his words. I want to, I want to, I want to internalize them. I want, I want to understand what he's really saying. I want to figure out how that applies my life and find the freedom that, that is in those words. Um, you know, often we, uh, and of course, he's writing to Christians. So one of the easiest get out of jail cards here might be, um, you know, this applies to people who don't know Christ, are disobedient. But of course, his book is written to Christians. And so you realize, well, I can't get out of this one so easy. I need to try and understand what he's saying to me. Often we judge ourselves by our intentions, um, but others judge us by our actions. Have you guys found that before? You know, when someone comes to you and says, you know, I just want to tell you that when you, when you did that particular thing, you know, this is kind of how it made me feel. And you're like, oh, it's not what I intended, not what I intended. But people aren't judging you by your intentions. They're judging you by your actions. And, and often we, we kind of think in our minds what we intend to do, but I'm not quite sure if it's always what comes out. And I, I think this is really where James is getting out in his book. And, you know, all of us intend to be loving and kind. We intend to follow Jesus. We, can, we intend to be doers of the word. But I think what James does is he really spells out for us what it means to be a doer, um, a doer of the, world, of the word. And um, I don't know about you, but I kind of appreciate that. One of my um, uh, rude awakenings to this idea of actions or behaviors for me happened in the business world. Um, you know, when you work in the corporate world, they don't pull... Any, any punches. They're not like, kind of like nice. Um, like churches have, you know, reputation of being quite loving and kind and everything like this, and they're quite gracious. But, um, you know, I find that some of the environments we get into in the corporate world, they're not nearly as nice or loving or kind. And one thing I found is I was going to be judged by my results when I was in the workplace. 
And for us, we would do a meeting every Monday morning. I was in a very high-pressure kind of corporate banking environment. And we would have to do the same topic. Um, what are the five most powerful actions you're going to take to achieve this? And then every week, the topic would change. What are the five most powerful actions you're going to take to achieve this? And, um, and then the results would come out. And I'd be, after a while, I'm like, how many KPIs, key performance indicators, um, are we going to get? Like, I've got like 15 of these, and I have to have sales in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. And, um, and then, of course, and then people is constantly asking you, what actions are you going to take? And I, and I started to realize I couldn't make excuses for my lack of performance. I needed to perform. And I realized that, um, that I was going to have to amend my actions in terms of... Um, in, in, in order to get those results. And so I, I had to learn what it was to take responsibility. I had to um, learn what it was to just accept what my bosses were saying to try and it really didn't matter what I wanted in the end. I needed to listen to them. But what I learned was that um, they were interested in my actions, not my intentions. I couldn't rock up to the meeting on the Monday and kind of say, you know, um, I'm really hoping that we'll get some business one day and um, um, they just want to know the numbers. Like, you know, how many millions, million dollars of loans did you do last week? And um, that's, all, that's all they wanted to know. And then, of course, you'd come up to the next year and all the targets would go up 30% and you'd think, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? Now, I don't think, I don't believe in performance-orientated um, Christianity, but I do believe that God is interested in our behaviours. And I do believe that God is interested in our actions. And, um, and I think that this is really where James is, is getting at. And he doesn't let, allow us to get um, away with it, um, away with having poor behaviors. You know, um, great feedback also focuses on behaviors. Um, this is one of the things I learned about giving great feedback is when you try and guess what's going on in someone's heart, um, what's going on, n- nine times out of ten, you kind of get it wrong. Like you think, I think you did that because you think this. Um, you just need to focus more on what they actually did. Don't try and guess what's going on in someone's heart. So when they teach you how to give great feedback to someone, what you generally do is you just say, look, this is what I noticed. This is the effect it had. Why don't you just tell me what's going on? This is how it made me feel. And so you keep it like that. And I think this is what the Apostle James is doing. Is He's just kind of like... Noticing behaviors about how they're using their tongue, about worldliness, about different conflicts that are going on, about how in the church there's favoritism going on amongst. And he's just kind of saying, you know, if we're following Jesus, these are some of the things I'm noticing. Um, He also divinely seems to identify the root cause. He does something through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that really we shouldn't try and imitate, I don't think, which is trying to find the root causes in people's lives. I think that people should do that through self-reflection. But um, James definitely now has some root causes. We'll have a look at some of those in a little bit. Um, The thing I mostly love about the book of James is how intensely um, practical it is. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a little bit of a guy thing, but sometimes I just want someone to just give me, give me the good advice. Don't just tell me to live by faith. Tell me what that means. Um, and, and so I can actually have something practical I can look at. So when I look at the book of James, I know, I, I know what I can work on. I, I, I look at and the importance of how I use my tongue. I look at how I shouldn't show partiality. 
I realize that I need to internalize the Word of God, and I need to absorb that. And so suddenly right now, what I have is practical tools. And so the book of James is intensely practical. And I feel rather than being in contradiction to the writings of Paul, where he talks about um, our justification being by faith alone, the book of James is completely complementary. Um, if Jesus says um, a tree without, without fruit, you know, he talks about the tree without fruit um, and how it's, um, you know, it will be cut down. I think um, James explains to us what the fruit would actually be. You know, often we'll develop a fancy type theology to sidestep the plain meaning of the text. We focus on the bits that we like and we excuse certain behaviors in our life. Um, James doesn't really allow any of that. And it's kind of funny that the Apostle James is the one that tells us that we shouldn't judge one another. And at the same time, he's the same one holding up the standards about like how we should live. And so I realized that somehow we have to find a middle road. And, the, what, what you, and somehow in your mind, you've got to try and find this middle road which says, I'm not going to judge other people. I'm not walking around picking out their sin. And I'm not going to stand condemned before God because I know that in Christ I've been made the righteousness of God. And at the same time, find some kind of inspiration or passion from the types of things that James is lifting up. Now, I think finding that tension, that place in the middle, is, is kind of one of the hardest things to do in our Christian walk. I don't know if anyone agrees with me. When you kind of read stuff and you're like, I'm not going to, I'm going to take this the, the right way. And, and that is really the challenge of receiving feedback, isn't it? is I'm going to take this in the way that it was intended, only for my benefit, only to build me up. And um, I feel like that would be James's motivation. And so he starts in, in um, verse number 13, and he says, Come now, come now, listen to me. And if I put it in my own words, let's have a chat. I had a pretty good father, and um, he would every now and then come to me and say, Jace, come, come over here. We need to have a chat, mate. <laughs> every now and then in the mornings, my mum would dial his number because he'd already gone to work quite early. And she'd just pick it up and say, talk to your father. <laughs> and um, I, I remember my father would say, Jace, I need you to be the man of the house. <laughs> You're causing too much trouble. And I'd be like, but dad, you don't understand. And, and he's like, Jason, we need, we need to chat. And, um, and, you know, there's something um, quite beautiful about that. I remember my sixth grade teacher, one of my kind of defining moments growing up. Um, I, was, I was in year, year um, like 12, which is the final year in Australia of our primary school years. And we had an excursion. And um, I'd had an argument with some kind of classmate. And I'd run away <laughs> from the excursion. And I'd run back to the school. And my music teacher was the one which I most got, got along with. And um, he pulled me aside and he said, Jace, we need to have a chat. And um, we kind of sat down and he says, you're about to go into high school. And he said to me, if you carry these behaviours on into high school, he says, I don't think you're going to last. <laughs> um, you're not going to last very long. And I remember sitting there and realising I had a, like a choice um, to make in that moment. And, um, and I thank God that he pulled me aside and had that chat because I did decide to make some changes. Now, I can't say I was an angel in, in high school, but I definitely was at a turning point where I needed to start to learn to behave a different way. And um, so James pulls them aside and he says, um, today, um, 
Come you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a place and spend a year and we'll make a profit. And he talks about the plans that we just make in our hearts all of the time. Now, we know the scripture where it says, you know, man makes plans in his heart, but the Lord um, directs his steps. But, um, you know, it's amazing how often we can just take everything and try and control things and we can take everything into our own hands and just run with it. And, um, you know, really practical things that aren't bad in themselves, but things we can run with. Our holidays, the schools, where our school, school, kids are going to go to school, where to live, what church we're going to be in, uh, multiple business ideas, career progression, renovations on the house, superannuation plans, so many different practical things. And we just grab a hold of them and we make these plans and we say, we're going to do this and we're going to go to holidays here and our kids are going to go to school here and we're going to do all of this. And we take these plans and what James is says, come now. <laughs> you shouldn't say these things. Rather, he says, lady, you should say, if the Lord wills. Because there is a king on the throne and you've given your life to that king to serve him and to honor him and to love him with everything you do. And so we, we shouldn't be taking control of these things like that. What he does is he changes um, their perspective and um, particularly in how they deal with wealth. In the backdrop of this, we can think of stories like Jesus, the rich man and Lazarus, and we know the parable. Um, Lazarus is at the gate of um, the rich man, and it says the rich man lived in luxury his entire life, and Lazarus sat at the gate. It said he was so um, poor in such a bad way that the dogs would come and they would lick his sores, and, um, and he really had no hope. And then at the end of his life, he was, um, they were both caught up into heaven, and of course, the, uh, Lazarus finds himself in paradise, the rich man finds himself um, in, in hell. He calls out across the great chasm, and he says, Father Abraham, Send, I'm parched here, send Lazarus so that I could have a drink of water. And he says, um, you know, what, what is it to you? He had all the riches in life. Besides, there's a great chasm. No man can cross from one way to the other. And he says, well, you know, send Lazarus back to my family so that they might not end up in this place. And we, we start to get this picture um, that, that there is an eternal nature to our lives. And if we focus on the temporal, we miss the eternal. Of course, the rich young ruler had this problem as well. He came to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, well, what are the commandments? And he starts to list them off. And he says, all of these I have kept since birth. And Jesus says, one thing that you lack, go sell all your, um, your possessions, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. Of course, it said the rich man went away that day for he had many um, possessions and he was too attached to his possessions to follow Jesus. Um, and so these stories start to build up a backdrop for what James is saying. Of course, the very words of Jesus where he teaches us to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, how we can't serve both God and money. He says, what is your life? He offers a new perspective for us. For you are a mist that appears for a little while. And then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He delves down into root causes. And as you look through the book of James, you see not only does he identify behaviors, but he actually gets right down into the root causes. And I like that as a practical kind of guy, because I want to know what is the root cause that's driving behaviors in my life so that I can actually live a more godly life. 
He talks about root causes like doubt. Apparently, that's a really bad, um, that really causes all sorts of dysfunction, dysfunction in your life when we live in double-mindedness and doubt. And some of these would have come out in some of the other sessions that we've done. Evil desires that rage within our heart or war within our heart. He talks about the danger, the root cause of going surface deep with the Word of God as a man looks in the mirror but then walks away forgetting what he looks like and how that can be a root cause of all sorts of problems. He talks about like a lack of love. He talks about having a polluted well. When he talks about like all this crazy stuff coming out of our minds, you know, things that we didn't even mean to say, then we want to grab those words, put the stuff them back into our mouth. And he talks how those words, they come out, not because we just had a bad moment, but because there's some kind of pollution going on in our hearts. There's a polluted well that needs fixing. He talks about the idea of pride and the impure heart and how these things go. And then it climaxes in the book of James 3.16. And he says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I remember reading that for the first time. And thinking, could it be true that at the root of every evil behavior that I do, there is jealousy and selfish ambition? And this is exactly what he says. He says that where those things exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And similarly in this passage, he says the reason... When we go about saying we're going to do this or that, we're going to make these plans and that plans, and we're going to do this business and that business and build this house and whatever it might be, and, and we're forgetting God in the process, that he, he, he says the root cause of that is arrogance. He said that kind of boasting is evil. And, um, you know, I don't think that that kind of boasting leads us into um, freedom. And so then it moves on. And uh, James doesn't really... Um, Leave us anywhere to hide here. You know, we don't um, suffer from a lack of knowledge in the West, but actually from a lack of faith. He makes a classic statement in verse 17. He says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I suddenly realized that to live by faith is to pursue the kingdom of God, is to pursue the goodness of God, the freedom of Christ. That is to live by faith. And the opposite is to pursue our own desires, the, um, the, the things of this flesh, the desires that rage within our hearts. And um, that would be really the way um, that doesn't lead into freedom, that actually leads us into bondage. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Sin goes beyond um, um, morality. It goes beyond a list of rules and regulations. And it goes into the realm of relationship, where it's like, who are you serving? Who is your king? And so that's where even things which are just very normal can become sin. So for example, if you just know that God is calling you to a particular community to be involved in a particular church or ministry, and then you see that school over the other side, and you're thinking, I really want my kids to go to that particular school. And then uh, uh, it's not just a practical matter, but something is raging within your heart because there is like a war going on between the calling of God and, and, and that thing that, that you maybe really want that's a really good thing. And the Bible says that when you go in the wrong way, that for you that would be sin because God is directing you towards a certain part. And what is that speaking to? That's really speaking to kingship. It's speaking to lordship. It's saying who's calling the shots in your life? Are you calling the shots or is Jesus calling the shots? 
And um, I feel like that what James does is he says, this is about relationship. I'm opening this up beyond morality. This is about um, who you are committed to. I'm married to my wife. I can't just make decisions on my own anymore. I can't um, just go and do whatever I want. I need to consider what she wants to do. And often there's things that, that are important to her, important to our family, important to our relationship, important to the future that God has for her. And so I need to defer and allow that to happen because we're in a relationship. And um, the same with God. Um, it's not just about what is right or wrong or what your impression is, but it's how is your relationship with God and where is He leading you and where is He guiding you? And so um, often we um, start to play theological gymnastics. Um, the Bible talks about satisfying, um, you know, with itching ears, trying to find certain messages or theologies that justify the way that we really want to go when all along we know that God is leading us in a particular um, way. And um, often uh, what we do then is we try and justify things to ourselves. And Jesus and um, James definitely encourages not not to go in that way. He leads us from there into really a deep um, call to repentance, where again he says, come now, listen now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. He has a premonition of poverty in the midst of wealth, a spiritual poverty, not a human poverty, but a spiritual poverty. Their heart is laid bare in the things you pursued. He even uses the word, they'll eat your flesh like fire. Now, this kind of words is kind of strong. And um, it's why I say thank you so much to Phil for giving me this passage, is because of how strong these words are. But it's this idea that the evidence of what's in our heart is actually built out of what we pursue. And now, for me, I see a call to pursuing eternal things. Because when we build up for ourselves treasures in this world, we build ourselves up all of these things, and then we realize that all of it will pass away. And it's not the materials in themselves, but the corrosive nature of those materials, the, the temporal nature of those things, um, that we pursued the things that were in our heart instead of the things that were of eternal value and, and, um, and of meaning to God. These, um, they, if you like, they were caught um, red-handed. When I um, met some of these people in India, I realized the purposes um, they were living for. There's this guy called Ashok, and um, he was the leader of the thing in Varanasi, responsible for planting hundreds of churches throughout that region. And we looked um, at what he lived. You know, he used to ride a bike 15 kilometers every day to get to the, um, the training center where he would go, and then he'd ride another 15 kilometers home. Um, just recently, we were in there doing the session with Abs, and his question was, he was asking about organ transplants, and he was asking, you know, about kidney transplants, and they were asking, what do they cost in the U.S., and can someone's life be sa saved through a kidney transplant, and, um, and these kinds of things, and, and, you know, Abs just answered the question. We found out the next day, people pulled us aside, and they said, you know, his son died of an organ failure, um, a kidney failure, you know, um, at the age of 10, and he hasn't quite got over it yet. And he keeps asking the question, what would, it have, um, what would it have cost? Could he have done something better? And, and I watch at how these um, people live and, and the environment that they choose to be in for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I think, wow, the, I just think, wow, 
There was this guy, Panwell. Um, his, his dream early on was just to escape Bangladesh, and he just wanted to get to the West. In fact, he did that, and he made his way to New Zealand. And then through um, a death of a family member, he had to come back to Bangladesh, where God really dealt with him and told him that he needed to stay in Bangladesh. He took on Youth Alive, which is a Christian ministry um, to young people for the AOG churches in Bangladesh, without a salary, the national position. His only criteria was that if I take this role, I want to be able to um, go overseas and fundraise. And so he would fundraise the entire budget of Youth Alive in Bangladesh, including his own salary, um, and grew up that ministry. And then recently walked away from it because he wanted to reach out to people further from God um, and not just deal with the people in the church, but the people outside of the church. And, um, and it was just the most um, incredible thing. His family runs businesses so that they can fund the ministry that they're building. And I just realized these guys are living their life with an eternal perspective, much beyond their life. And I, I find when I hear their, their stories, suddenly I think, what, what, what do I worry about? The things that, that worry me in my life, I just need, and if, if there's any takeaway I'd love for you to have this morning, it's just to forget about all of your worries. Forget about all of your troubles and just realize how great God is and pursue Him with all of your heart. You know, this passage, it moves us into a deep sort of place of repentance. And, and it... it um, and it, it, it instills in us a real fear of God and a fear of the Lord. And then it leads us into freedom. Phil gets the good part. Who's doing the last week of Book of James? Yeah, Phil's, Phil's doing the last week. Because in verse 7, there's a word which is fantastic, therefore, in verse 7. And it starts to open for us what this means for our life. And if we start to look back a little bit, I'm not going to give too much of a conclusion because I'm going to leave that to Phil next week. But the idea of just letting go, let go of control, let go of these things, walk in true repentance before God. And this idea we should live open lives in the light of God, not hiding anything from Him. That we need to allow the Word of God to go deep into our hearts. Like that mirror, we look and we allow His Word to go deep in our hearts. That we need to live patiently and with an eternal perspective. We need to consider the life that is beyond this and the treasure that is being stored up in heaven. We need to think about pursuing our higher calling and living a life of faith. And be relentless with evils such as jealousy and selfish ambition. Because they'll lead us down um, the wrong path. And so... This morning, I hope that what we can do is we can see the father heart of James as he comes and he says, you know what? I want to give you the tools so that you make it through this life, so that you're not harmed by the evil one, so you can, you're not tricked, you're not deceived, and so you can walk in the fullness of the life that Jesus has for you. And so I just wonder if we can just stand to our feet this morning, and um, I just want us to reflect on the words of God. And so, Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come upon us this morning. Lord, would you show us those areas in our life where we're trying to hold on to control or where we um, have a need of repentance? And Lord, we want to sit under the instruction of your word and we realize that you are a loving Father, that you want to bring us into freedom. And so, Lord, we hear your words. And Lord, we don't want them just to bounce off a wall, 
but we want them to find a place in our hearts. And we do come to you today with a deep repentance. We do come before you and say, yes, we, we, we want to follow you with all of our heart. And we realize that, that you are holy and that our God is an all-consuming fire. And we want to respect you. And we know that you are our loving Father, that you are kind and you stick closer than a brother. And, and we're perfectly righteous in your sight. But at the same time, we want, that, we, we, wanna, we want that to live out in our lives. And so, Father, help us to be balanced um, followers of you, balanced Christians. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Why don't you just lift up your hands to him this morning? And if there's anything you just want to let go of this morning, if there's anything you want to repent of this morning, if there's anything you want to say, God, you know what, I'm going to live different, then I just encourage you just to do that. Just to do that, because God loves you, and He has nothing but kind thoughts towards you. And He's a loving Father that wants to put His arm around you this morning. Hallelujah.